Well, I'm so glad you're here. This is part four of a four-part series. Uh, we started at the very beginning of this year. Uh, Dr. Hackett actually kicked it off and did a brilliant job talking about what do we need to start? What is that thing that we need to start in a new year? And one of the things we've been saying about that, you know, you can't start everything. You've had, heard him, you've heard me mention it. You know, you try to put your arms around too many things like, hey, in the new year, 2021, I'm going to start eight things. Well, we won't start eight things because it's impossible. Uh, we'll be distracted. But what is the one thing that we could start this year? And then next year, we build on that. And then week two, we talked about what is the one thing that we need to stop? And could you imagine... If you and I are talking about getting from where we are to where we want to be, if just over, say, the next five years or 10 years, we just said each year, here's a good thing that I'm going to start in my life, and here's a negative thing I'm going to stop. And we just did that incrementally, and it just compounded year after year. I'm going to start this. I'm going to develop this pattern, this habit, this practice, and I'm going to lay this down. That would be a powerful thing. And so we've talked about that in the first two weeks. And then last week, I shared with you, when do we need to to stay when it would be much easier to go. There's times when we just stay. We just see the course. We do the right thing. We stay in the place where God wants us to. We talked last week uh, about Ruth. Now, in the last part of our series, we're going to flip over uh, the focus of week three, and our key thought today will be this. When do we need to go when it would be easier to stay. And all of us are going to have times like that in our life when it would be easier to just stay right where we're at, stay where it's comfortable, stay where it's familiar, stay with what we're used to. And especially if we're a creature of habit or we like our routines, that's something that we really like a whole lot. But there's times when God is going to call us to go. Now, some of you, even as I say that, you start resonating, reacting uh, to that, maybe mentally or emotionally, you start responding to that a little bit. And you just know, you just have this sense. There are many of you that are like this. You have this sense that at some point in the future, it may not be next week or next month, maybe not even next year, but sometime in the future, months, maybe even years down the road, that there's something new that is going to take place. And when it happens, you are going to be required to take a step of faith. Uh, you may already have some measure of clarity on it, probably not all, if it's not like immediately right now, but you sense it. You can almost see it. It's down the road, but it's a reality at some point, and you want to be prepared for that. Now, for some of you, it's not in the distance. It's not out there. For some of you, uh, a lot sooner than that, a door is going to open to you, and, and you didn't see it, and you weren't expecting it. You were not even thinking that it was going to become a reality, but a door is going to open for you, and you're going to have this sense that it would be easier to stay, not do anything, just go with what you're most comfortable with, but then there's going to be that nudging for you to go when it would be easier to stay. And I want to tell you, this is what I really believe. As result of what we're going to look at today and talk about today, you're going to be much better prepared for that because what we're going to talk about today, I think if you and I would just sort of embrace it, it will help us when that time comes, whether it's a week from now, a month from now, a decade from now, we're going to have the confidence to take a step of faith. We're going to have courage to do that. Now, this is something that all of us know, and it is this. It is much easier to play it safe and enjoy a comfortable ride 
uh, rather than to take a step of faith. We know that. We know that. In fact, I want you to take a look at the screen. This is something that Lee Strobel uh, wrote a number of years ago. He said, it's ironic but true, playing it safe can be the riskiest way to live. Now, each week during this series, we've been reaching back into the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. And we've been looking at a person from the Old Testament. We've looked at Daniel. We looked at Moses last week, as I've already mentioned. We looked at the life of Ruth and that whole situation and how it played out. Now, this morning, what we're going to do, again, reaching back. We're going to really reach back. We're going all the way back to Genesis. But today, we're going to look at the life, a glimpse of a life uh, of a couple. And I might add that this is an older couple. And God is about to ask this older couple to take this quantum leap of faith. And uh, it's a great story. And I want us to talk about it for a little while today. And then we'll get really practical. You know how that works by now. We'll deal with the Bible part of it, the front edge. And then how does this intersect with our life? So this is Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. And I want you to look at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, he was not Abraham yet. He would become Abraham later. How many of you have ever noticed, by the way, I'll just add this quick side note in parentheses. How many of you have ever noticed that there are times in the Bible where a name changes? There was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but Jacob actually becomes who after he wrestles with God? He becomes Israel, founder of the nation, 12 tribes. Um, so uh, the Lord said to Abram, later to become Abraham, leave your country, your family, and your relatives and go to the land that I will show you. In other words, here's what I want you to do, Abram. I want you to uproot from everything that you know, everything that is familiar to you, everything that you're comfortable with, everything that you've known, and I want you uh, to leave a place where you know virtually everybody to go to a foreign country where you do not know a soul. I want you to leave your familiar place. I want you to go. Not, you're not just moving across town. You're going to another country. Now, I cannot wait, and I want to just add this in. Uh, I cannot wait for next week and the week after that as we roll out of this series before we go into our next series, which would be three weeks from today. We're going to have two Sundays that's going to be a part of our missions conference. And if you've never been a part of our missions conference, you're in store for a great, great treat. We're going to have an incredible missionary. By the way, we've got some great missionaries that are seated right here. I see them scattered around. We're going to have a great missionary with us next week. He's a great friend. I know him well. Fantastic ministry, uh, missionary. His name is Jeff Dove, and Jeff is going to be here uh, next week. He's an excellent speaker. Where he's been, what he's done is just absolutely phenomenal. And you will not want to miss that. That is next week, Jeff Dove. The week after... After that is a missionary I know really, really, really well because I'm his nephew. And his name is Ron. Ron Mattis is a guy that a lot of you know. And Uncle Ron is going to be here two weeks. And he's an amazing missionary. And in that, he's going to tell a story about how God led him and his family from Florida to literally 
to the other side of the world. And that's where he spent years and years and years, 20 plus years in Thailand. He's lived in Hong Kong. He's traveled throughout Cambodia and Laos and Burma. And he's an amazing missionary. And uh, if you think I'm slightly funny, which I don't think I am, but if you think I'm slightly funny, now Uncle Ron is really, really funny. And uh, he'll have some stories that will just have you cracking up. Jeff Dove, next week. Uncle Ron, the week after that. And I promise you don't want to miss it. So God says to Abram, I want you to leave everything that is familiar. And I want you to go to a place, a foreign country, where you don't know anybody. Now, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, are not young. I've already mentioned that. They are not young when God calls them. Would you like to know how old they are? Abraham, at this point in time, he's around 75 years of age. He's not a young guy anymore, and Sarah is not far behind. Now, how many of you know at that stage in the game, when God comes along and he says, here's what I want you to do, I want you to leave the place that is familiar to you. And I know, uh, Abraham, I know, Sarah, that it would be easy for you to stay where it's comfortable. You ought to have a comfortable life at this stage in the game. Uh, for crying out loud, you're 75 years old. It needs to be a comfortable life. And so God speaks to them. And here this old couple are comfortable in so many respects. And they're going to have to step out. But for any of us, when we think about that situation, we would say reluctance on their part would have made perfect sense. If you agree with that, just sort of wave at me. Reluctance to just say, um, God, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, and I appreciate it, God, but you know, 75, listen, the house is paid for. The house is paid for. By the way, the house is not only paid for, the, the house, we've actually done a lot of remodeling. Why would you want us to leave at this time, this place? You know, we're 75. Uh, how about this? You think there was anything that uh, sort of went through their mind and they're like, okay, God, here's the thing. Not like we need a good school district because we're 75 years plus, but, uh, you know, at least we're living in a good school district. Why would you want us to leave here? Do you think there was ever a part of, uh, of Abraham and Sarah where they said, God, why now? Why now? We are the shuffleboard champions of our community, and it absolutely ticks off Herman and Henrietta, which causes us to love it all the more. We just want to stay. We're champions. At least wait till our championship reign, you know, sort of expires. You think they had any thought like that? What about this? God, there's a lot of danger lurking around from here to where you're calling us to be. God, right here, we're comfortable. We're comfortable right here. We know right here. This is familiar. This is safe. And between here and to get to there to where you're calling us, there's going to be the potential of a lot of danger between here and there. Now, a number of years ago, I was in uh, a country, I was with a missionary, and uh, I'd already been there a few days, and he said, uh, hey, Jeff, by the way, this pastor would like to meet you and sit down and talk with you uh, a little bit, and I'm like, I'd be happy to do it, and so I said, I'll meet him anywhere, anytime. Well, how many of you have traveled overseas, wave at me like this, how many of you know you just don't drink water, you know, uh, like you do here, that you just got to be careful? And so uh, I, I told him, said, 
you know, let him know. I'll meet him anywhere. And he wanted to meet. And when I tell you an ice cream shop, please do not think of what is next door. Please don't think of Andy's Custard, which I think is really cruel that they built that five minutes from my house. And I, how, many of you have, how many of you know Andy's Custard is a gift from God to this earth? How many of you have been there? How many of you have been there? All right, go ahead. Come forward. We're going to all repent together right now. If you haven't been... I'll tell you what I've had on my splurge night, time or two, maybe three. Uh, but, you know, he said, uh, can I meet at an ice cream? And I'm thinking, no problem. And uh, so I'm there, and I'm just like a kid, you know, eating my ice cream and, and having a great time and just talking to him and just trying to pour into his life a little bit. And I get back, and people are like, where'd you go? And I'm like, well, I went to the ice cream shop, met a pastor. Well, you didn't eat the ice cream, did you? And I'm like, sure, I ate the ice cream. Ice cream is a gift from God above. You know, it's a gift. And I said, sure, I ate the ice cream. And they're like, you shouldn't have eaten that ice cream. And I'm like, well, it's fine time for you to tell me right now after I ate all the ice cream. I was in another country one time. And I just eaten the food that was prepared every day. I didn't ask a lot of questions. I have no idea what I ate. I think I have an idea at least what they told me I was eating. But by the time of the end of the trip, we had gone back toward the city. And I just wanted a good old hamburger. Hamburger, just a, you know, a cheeseburger. Maybe it was going to make me feel like home. And I took one bite into that and I'd ordered it. I just went all out. I'm like, I want some marinated mushrooms. Just let's load this baby up to the glory of God. I am hungry. And I took a bite and I thought, that is the strangest tasting marinade I've ever had before. And I said, wow, that's just sort of, and, uh, and I said, hey, you know, does this, you know, smell right to you? And a guy who happened to be a store manager of a public store, this has been a number of years ago, he, uh, he smelled it just like this, and he, he, he turned around and he said, that is rotten meat. And I had a big old bite already in my stomach. And I just said to him, I said, Doug, I looked at him because I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling comfortable. I'm not talking physically. I'm talking emotionally. I said, Doug, uh, what should I do? Because I, I do not, I did not want to be at a hospital in some third world country getting my stomach pumped out. How many of you, how many of you feel this? Do you feel my pain? And so I said, I was afraid that's what he was going to say. So I said, Doug, what do we need to do? Because I've just taken this huge bite of this rotten meat. And I said, Doug, what do we need to do? And he said, we need to pray. I said, thank you. I really, that real calming to me right now, right now. I was with another missionary in another country, and he said, hey, you want to go with me? I want to take you up, show you a place. You've never seen anything like this. And so I went with him, and we went up the side of this mountain, and we saw uh, poverty and uh, in ways that I had never seen, and I had seen a lot in other countries and seen it. And so we started out, I said, Bill, why are we going in the opposite direction? We seem to be, I don't know, you're the driver, you know this area. Um, I said, why are we going down the other side of the mountain? And he said, well, there's a real good reason for that, Jeff. And I said, well, I'd like to know. He said, well, did you see those people scattered around as we were working our way up the other side of the mountain? I said, yeah, I, I, I saw them. He said, well, let me just tell you where we're at right now. And he described where we're at, and we were real close to a place. I had no idea we were that close to that place. He said, if we go down the way we came, they're going to stop us. They're going to pull us out of this vehicle, and they're going to take the vehicle. I said, let's go with the route that you feel is safest. Let's just do that. 
Let's just go. And Abraham and Sarah, they're like, all right, between here, and this is where we know, and this is where our family is, and this is where our paid-for house and our shuffleboard championship, and this is where, you know, this is where everything we know, and we're comfortable here. But in order to go from here to there, there's some trouble that could be waiting around. But God is saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I'm going, as you go, I'm going to send you with a great promise, a great promise. This really is a phenomenal promise that God makes. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But before we get to that, I want you to look on the screen at what Jim Cimbala has written. This is a great statement that he said in a book that he's written. I think it was called Fresh Faith or Fresh Fire. He said, faith is happy to step out not knowing where it is going so long, and this is key, so long as it knows what? Say it again. Who is going along? So Abraham and Sarah will soon step out and not knowing where it will take them, but they will go. They'll take a couple of things with them. They'll take a promise, and you're about to see the promise, but they'll also take a person. God would be with them every step of the way. Now, same chapter. Chapter 12, but I want you to look now at verses 2 and 3. Take a look at this right up here on the screen. I will make you, and he's speaking this in the midst of their hesitancy and reluctance, I will make you into a great nation. They're like, yeah, right. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then I want you to read. You can do this at home as well. Everybody, I want you to read this with me, this last phrase. Everybody is everybody. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that is the promise that God is making to Abraham and Sarah. He's saying, I'm going with you. Remember what Simba said? It's really not about where you're going, about who's going with you. And uh, God has already said, I'm going to be with you, and here's my promise. And God just sort of lays the promise on them as he gives them their next assignment. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. God, I, I'm not seeing it. This is not even possible. Uh, you're saying in this promise to us that you're going to make us into a great nation. Really? How are we going to become a great nation? How are we going to have this family origin that's going to be a great nation? Hey, God, let me remind you, let me remind you that we don't have any kids. And God, if you don't mind, let us run and get a copy of our birth certificate, and we want to show you how old we are. How, you know, us being the older couple that we are, with no kids, are you going to make us into a great nation? They're like, we just don't see it. What do you mean you're going to make our name great? How can that even be? God, how? We're not famous. We've never been famous. We don't see ourselves as being famous. We just don't. We're just plain, ordinary, common. There's nothing spectacular about our lives. How in the world are you going to make us, if we do this, into a great nation? How are you going to make our name great throughout the world? And then remember part of that promise? And God said, in all peoples on the earth, everybody, everybody, everybody is going to bless, be blessed through you. And Abraham and Sarah look at each other and they're like, God, we, you know, we want to believe it, but how do we believe? We can't even bless each other. How in the world are we going to become a blessing to the whole world? It would have been so incredibly easy for them to stay it would have been easier for them to do that rather than to obey. And yet, though they obey, 
and they go. I want you to look at the next part, a part of verse 4. Look at this. So Abram went. Abram went as the Lord told him. He just said, all right, a lot of things are not clear to me. Uh, I don't understand fully how this is all going to play out. But God, here's what I'm going to do. It would be easy to stay, but instead of staying, I'm going to choose to obey. And God fulfills his promise. And as a result of Abraham, all people are going to be blessed through Abraham. And this is an amazing thing. And I wish I had a lot of time to just talk about that, but I'm halfway through this talk and I want to talk about how this, you know, sort of runs into our lives and how we react to it. But here's the amazing thing. Oftentimes in the scriptures, and you have seen this if you've ever studied the Bible, uh, or you will see it if you choose to study the Bible, often you'll see this reference and it is the God of who? Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, do you see how important this is? If Abraham and Sarah just said, no, find somebody else. We're, you know, we're all up in age and we're just comfortable and, and we don't really think we ought to be the ones. And, it's, you know, we don't want to go. We don't want to take a step of faith. We don't want to exercise any courage. Then this statement would have never been known. Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they win. And eventually they would have a son and that son would be Isaac and Isaac would have a son and he would have a, uh, and he would have a son and his son would be named Jacob and Jacob would wrestle with God and God would say, no longer are you going to be Jacob, but you're going to be Israel. And there's the 12 tribes. And you read about that throughout the Old Testament, especially in the early chapters or early books of the Old Testament. Abraham, the founder of the Hebrew nation. Abraham, who even the Apostle Paul later in the New Testament would refer to Abraham, listen to this, as not just the father of the Jews. This is a great statement. Paul said, as he was talking about Abraham, he said, he's not only the father of the Jews, Abraham is also the father of all, of all who believe, of all who believe. And so the effect, net effect of that is still being felt today. And we're still talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's an amazing thing. All people on earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham went when it would have been so easy for Abraham and Sarah to just stay where they're at. Now, you ready? You ready? Wave. You still with me? Wave at me if you're still with me. Wave at me if you need one more cup of coffee. A donut. We'll cast the calories out of it right here in Jesus' name. It's what I do with Andy's custard. Come out. You calories. Well, no, I don't. I'd like to be able to do that. So what is it that God is saying to you? Now we're not talking about Abraham and Sarah. We're talking about you. What is God saying to you? Short term, maybe a door, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that is about to open. You haven't seen it. You haven't thought about it. You're not expecting it. But what are you going to do if that door opens? Maybe it's long term. Maybe it's something that you sense God is up to and you're like, okay, am I going to be up for the challenge when it comes? Will I take a step of faith? Will I obey? Will I have courage to do what God wants me to do? Now, what is that? It's not all the same for all of us. See, for some of you, this is, this is what God's, God's going to encourage you. It would be easy to stay where you're at, doing what you're doing, but God is going to say, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work more. I want you to work more. And some of you are like, I know that's not me. That's not even of God for my life, <laughs> not work more. But for some of you, God is going to encourage you to work more. Why? 
He's going to encourage you maybe to work more because it's going to be maybe the way that God uses to help you get out of that, that deep hole of debt that you have dug yourself into. And you just know that if you keep doing what you're doing and you keep doing the same thing again and again, the same pace, the same. And it may be that God is just going to say, here's what I want you to do. I'm tired of you being smothered up with all of that debt and I want you to just work more. Maybe it's because God wants us to, you know, to work more so that we can become outrageously generous or to have financial freedom so we can respond to needs when we're confronting, confronted by needs. And so for some of you, it would be easy to keep doing what you're doing, but God's going to say to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work more. And once you have clarity on that, you're going to say, all right, I think that's what I'm going to do. For some of you, though, God's going to tell you the opposite, the antithesis of that. God's going to say it would be easier for you to keep the pace, but you know what you need to do? You need to work less because you've got small kids at home and you've got, a, you've got a spouse at home and you just really need to be investing. And I understand that you're climbing and all of that and you're moving, and, but now would be a time for you to just, instead of doing what you're most comfortable with and stand on the path at your own, work less. You can always go back. For some of you, God may be saying to you, it's time for you to have a child. And you're like, oh, but raising those kids are like, that's, that's like a scary thing, you know. And every time I talk to Brent or to Nicole and they have these five or four, man, that was that prophecy? Was that prophecy right there? These four grandkids, you know, seven, five, three, and two months. And what were they thinking? They are crazy. And I just think, how, how do they do it? But God may lead you to just have another child. And you're like, oh, man. Or, or maybe it's to adopt a child. And you're like, I've thought about it. And, you know, it's not like immediate, but we need to start getting prepared for it. And it may come uh, months down the road or, or uh, years down the road. But maybe we're supposed to adopt a child. Or maybe we're supposed to foster children or maybe we're supposed to start a a side business uh you know uh, an additional business dave ramsey i listen to him it's probably one of my favorite podcasts that i listen to and i listen to it most every day he would call it a side hustle that maybe you're you know it's time to get a side hustle something that you can do again to help you move toward the, some goals that god has for you maybe it's starting a ministry Maybe God has been speaking to your heart for some time and there's a ministry that God has deposited that in your life. And you're like, okay, when am I going to do it? Because it's going to take a step of faith and it's going to take some obedience. And, and, and you just know, I, I, I know, you know, I've been cultivating this in my spirit. God has been working on me. And, and when are you going to start that ministry? When are you going to start that nonprofit? When are you going to start leading a small group? And you've heard us talk a lot about that. And you could just say, well, here's what I'm going to do. You know, if you're a single person and you're like, hey, I'm just going to gather up a few friends and, and you know, we're going to meet together or we're going to do Zoom. And we've talked to you about the three options that are available to you, but you're going to connect with some people. Or maybe you're, maybe you're a couple and you're like, well, hey, I don't really know them, but I'd like to get to know them. And, and we can be in a small group and do it safe and be sensible. And we can study a curriculum together. And, and you're going to say, well, 
well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to lead a small group. It would be comfortable to keep doing what I'm doing, and it's going to take some time commitment, and it's going to take some energy commitment, and I'm going to have to pour myself into some people, but I believe it's what God wants me to do. By the way, if that's something that you sense God is wanting you to do, out of the table, out in the lobby, there's uh, some small group leaders' cards. You could just write after the service. Fill that out. Just lay it right there on the table. I'll collect it. I'll get it to Pastor Craig. He'll get in contact with you about how do you get your small group rolling. And you need to do this. There are a lot of you that God has been speaking to you for some time about leading a small group. You're like, yeah, I'll do it then, then, later, 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 some point, some point, you know, after the this, after that. But now's that time for you to do it. Maybe it's time for you to interview for a job promotion. And you're like, I don't even know if I'm fully qualified. I don't know. You know, maybe my psyche can't handle rejection. If they don't hire me and they hire somebody else, it's less qualified, been here less time, less seniority. But maybe what God's going to tell you to do is to go ahead and do that interview because what's going to happen, either the God, uh, God's going to open that door for you or God's going to use that interview to help prepare you for something that's in the future. And so it, maybe that's what God's uh, saying to you to do. Maybe you're, maybe you're a single guy and you've had your eye on this young lady and you're like, should I, should I ask her, should I ask her? And she may say no and she may say no and you better be prepared for that if she does say no. And if she does and you're down, Andy's custard is comfort food and you can go there right after and you can comfort yourself with a Sunday or whatever they call them or Chick-fil-A. But you know what? Maybe, maybe there'll be sounds from heaven and she'll say yes. And it will lead to something that could be important for a long, long time. It's sometimes just easier for us to stay where we're comfortable and it doesn't require courage and it doesn't require faith. But God is telling us to go. When should you go? When it would be easier to stay. And let's be real clear on this. I don't even need to say this, but let me just say it in case somebody wants to be a knucklehead and uh, interpret this in a way that I've not given it. I am not talking about leaving your marriage or leaving your fundamental responsibilities or leaving. You're like, you go in in the morning, you go in the morning and say, I feel like, it would be comfortable to stay in this job I've been in for seven years, but it's time to go, and I'm out of here, and my pastor told me to just hit the road. I did not, I did not, I did not say anything. Dr. Hackett, will you be a witness to these things? I am not saying any of those things. How was Abraham able to do it? He was able to do it because he had faith, and his faith led to obedience. Look at this verse up on the screen. It's a great verse. Look at it with me. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, and it says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. How will you go? You'll go just like Abraham. You'll go with faith. You say, but I don't have a lot of faith right now. Well, here's the great thing about faith. Are you ready for this? Some of you, this is going to be worth you getting out of bed to come here just to say this. It's not important that you have front-loaded faith. And let me tell you what I mean by that. You don't necessarily have to have the faith to finish the journey right now. All you need is enough faith to start the journey. Can I say that again? God is not requiring you to have front-loaded faith where you've got to have the faith to finish the journey. It may be that it's just the faith enough to take the first step and to trust God. And then you obey every step of the way. 
So we've been talking about it this entire month. Let's together ask God to give us the faith to start something that we need to start, to stop something that we need to stop, to stay when it would be easier to go, and then to go when it would be easier to stay, believing that God will be with us every step of the way. I want to close with a great story. I read it a number of years ago. Some of you may have heard me. I'm, I may have shared this one time before years ago at the North Campus, uh, but I've shared it in some contexts. It's written about Henry Nouwen, and you can just read about Henry Nouwen. Great writer, great thinker, spiritual formation. But Henry Nouwen, uh, and I'll just share with you what I read in the book, whose gift to the world was his, was his struggle with pain and faith as the wounded healer. It says of now and that the final year of his life, he took a sabbatical from working and writing. He longed for God, yet found it hard to pray. And he found himself drawn to figure of all things to a circus act. A Dutch priest who had taught at Harvard and Yale was hanging out with the greatest show on earth. They were a tra trapeze act, the flying Rodleys. He watched them perform and then he got to know them. Trapeze artists usually use a safety net nowadays, but even falling into one of those can be quite dangerous. There were five members in the act. There were three flyers and two catchers. The flyer climbs the steps, mounts the platform, and all of us have seen this, mounts the platform, swinging through the air, leaps off the platform, swinging through the air. He uses his body for momentum, swinging with increasing speed and height. The catcher hangs from his knees on another tra trapeze with his hands free to reach out. The moment of truth comes when the flyer lets go. He sails through the air with no support, no connection to the earth. He does a somersault or two. Picture him now in the middle of a somersault and freeze the frame. There's absolutely nothing at that moment to keep the flyer from flying, uh, plunging to injury or death. What do you think he feels like? Do you think he feels fully alive, every cell in his body screaming out? Think he's feeling any fear right then? In the next moment, the catcher swings into our view. He has been timing his arts perfectly. He arrives just as the flyer loses momentum and begins to descend. His hands clasp the arms of the flyer. The flyer cannot see him. To the flyer, everything is a blur. But the flyer feels himself snatched out of the air. The catcher takes the flyer home, and the flyer is very, very glad. Now and spend some time getting to know the flyers. Flyers, he said, are small, weighing 150 pounds or less. Because if you're a catcher, you don't, I love this expression, you don't want a flyer with a sweet tooth. <laughs> he learned about the equipment they used. They had salts filled with magnesium dry powder for their hands, especially for Joe, because Joe was one of the catchers. And they told Henry, Joe sweats a lot. If you're a flyer, you don't want a catcher with sweaty hands. Here's where trusting comes in. Letting go is always an act of trust. Rodley, as the leader of the group, told Nowen, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think I'm the star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. Nowen asked then this question, how does it work? He answered, the secret is that the flyer does nothing. The catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and, and hands and wait. Henry asked him, you do nothing? A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. The flyer must trust, with the out, trust in the outstretched arms that his catcher will be there waiting for him. And then the writer says, we are all going to have to let go 
But we get to choose. To whom do we jump? And God said, Abraham, Sarah, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to be famous. And all people, sort of that Abrahamic covenant, that all people are going to be blessed through you. So, is God asking you to jump? Is God asking you to go, to start, to do, when it would be easier to stay? And when that time comes, will you be ready? Be a good thing to go ahead and decide that right now. Again, it might be years away, years, might be months away, and maybe an open door that appears to you unexpectedly. Ask God to give you the faith necessary for the journey. Simla says it's not really about where we go. It's about who we're going with. And so I want you to be prepared. I want you to be ready. Enough faith, front-loaded faith, not enough faith to finish just enough faith to start whatever it is that God is speaking to you. There's others of you that are in this auditorium, those of you that are watching online, that God is nudging you in a different way. He's nudging you to give your life to Jesus. See, this is how much God loves you. God loves you enough that he sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then you know what God does? He sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has a very, very detailed thing, what he does. The Holy Spirit comes and he convicts us and he shows us, not to condemn us. The Bible says Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And the Holy Spirit comes not to condemn, but to convict us. And we become convicted over our sin and our alienation from a righteous and holy God that loves us and created us. And then God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond. The Holy Spirit's not only going to convict you, but the Holy Spirit is going to draw you. And when he draws you, and see some of you, some of you right now, you feel something on the inside of you and you're like what is that is that my emotion is that my you know what's going on and I'll tell you what it is you don't know it maybe but it's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is drawing you to Jesus because Jesus wants to have a relationship with you and here's what could happen for you today is the day of salvation and that requires a step to faith where you say here's what I'm going to do I'm going to give my life to Jesus and when you do the Bible says if any person's in Christ they become a new creation all things are passed away everything becomes new God flips the page he starts a new chapter he gives us a do-over he wipes the slate clean and he says now you're mine you're mine you're mine I created you I created you to love you and to be in relationship with you and there are those of you here today, and you're calm, and you're faithful, and I'm so glad you are, and you believe in God, and you know about Jesus, and you've been reading the Bible, but you've never stepped over the line of faith as of yet and given your life to Christ, and the Holy Spirit is drawing you right now, and I just encourage you, encourage you, just take that step of faith, and you just say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be sure that I'm in right relationship with you. I want to be sure that I've got to receive uh, a reserve seed at heaven's table. I want to be sure. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I want to live with purpose and meaning and destiny. I want to give my life to Jesus. And you can do that right here, right now. Can we all stand? Can we all pray together? For some of you, again, whether it's soon, whether it's months, whether it's years, God, give me faith. Give me faith that when that time comes and it would be easier to stay that I'll take a step of faith and I'll obey and I'll go and I'll jump and I'll do what you want me to do.
Lord, I pray that you would give us that kind of faith. We want to trust you. We want to believe in you. We want to go hand in hand with you wherever you're going to lead us, wherever you're going, and you want us along for the journey. God, we don't want to stay back at a safe place. We don't want to miss out on what is your best for our life, even when it doesn't make sense when we take that first step. God, I just pray that there'll be so many right now in this auditorium, in this room, at watching at home, wherever they're at, that would say, Jesus, come into my life. Holy Spirit, thank you for conviction. I know you're drawing me to Jesus. Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. I, I know that you're standing at the door of my life and you're knocking. I want to open the door. I want to invite you in. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new start. Take my hand. Lead me. Lead me. Let me know. When my time on earth is done, that there's a reserved spot for me in heaven. And until that day, I will live for you. And I'll walk in faith. And I'll walk in obedience. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Have a great week. I'll see you next.